Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Augustine Hadelich has a new album out now called Recuerdos, featuring works by Sarasate, Prokofiev, Britain, and Tarega, brought together, perhaps surprisingly, by a Spanish theme. Augustine explains what draws these pieces together. Now, the piece that gives the album its name, Recuerdos de la Alhambra, features some rather impressive bouncing ricochet bowing on Augustine's recording. If you struggle with ricochet, let's be honest, who doesn't, then listen out for Augustine's thoughts and approaches to this technique. If you're going to be talking about ricochet on a podcast, it'd be the Strad podcast naturally, so you're in the right place. Have a listen. Augustine, welcome to the Strad podcast. It's really such a pleasure to have you here today. So we're here to talk a little bit about what you've been up to recently. So you're joining me today from Norway, but you've got a new album out called Recuerdos, where you've recorded works by Sarasate, uh, Prokofiev, Britain and Tarega. I wanted to get your take on this. There's a sort of loose Spanish theme running throughout these pieces, but Besides being Spanish or having something to do with Spain, what are your reasons for choosing these pieces on your new album? But I think it all started with the Britain Concerto. I love the Britain Concerto very much, and I've been thinking about what's the best context to put this piece on, on an album. So what's often done is to put it on programs of either all English music or maybe combine it with Shostakovich. There are different routes that people often go, but I thought it would be interesting to put it in a slightly more Spanish context. The Britain Concerto is Benjamin Britten's um, attempt to kind of process the events of the Spanish Civil War and contains some references to Spain, but more it's more than just the occasional musical um, references to Spanish music. It's also, I think, that it really is contains a lot of his emotions about what was happening in the Spanish Civil War, which he was a very passionate pacifist and was really, really in, shocked by the Spanish Civil War, which was really brutal and was something that a lot of intellectuals at the time cared very, very deeply about. But many others hmm. went there to join the war effort on the Republican side, but Britain was a committed pacifist, so I think this was kind of his way to express his feelings about it. And it's a very powerful piece. I, I always feel like it stays with me for a long time every time I, I, I play it. I guess it sort of starts in a very idyllic way, uh, and then these militaristic motifs start intruding, and then the second movement is very, very aggressive, percussive, uh, quite expressionist in character, maybe is the depiction of the war. But the longest movement of the piece is the last movement, which is a passacaglia. And I think really uh, Benjamin Britten's attempt to somehow find hope again or somehow process what happened. And there's a lot of grief in, in that movement and kind of search for hope. And But it's quite elusive. He can't really see anything good in war, you know, as much as he tries to mm. somehow find something positive to hold on to. It's, it's, it's hard. So this is a very powerful piece. And I, I thought that putting it in a Spanish context, then the um, references to Spanish music are, are a lot more obvious when they do happen. They're kind of hidden in the music, but I think they jump out at you a little more when 
when you hear like um, you know karma fantasy earlier in the program. That is really interesting because I personally have never really thought of Britain under a sort of Spanish context and as you mentioned before it is quite often paired or maybe associated with things like Shostakovich or endless amounts of English music. I mean living in London that's very commonly done. You know how pertinent do you think it is given the times that we're living in now you know currently during this time of war in Ukraine when I came up with this program I had no idea that this war would break out this year you know like in a funny way it's a bit of a similar situation that it's not very far away from the other European countries where I, I travel in and and it's all everyone talks about, everyone's thinking about it. It's this really troubling event that's kind of omnipresent. I think it was very similar for a lot of intellectuals back then in the 30s when the Spanish Civil War was raging. And it seemed very important, really. Democracy in Europe was at stake, was what people felt. It was a moment, either everything becomes fascist or somehow we save democracy. That was the struggle back then, and many people feel like we're right back there <laughs> there again. I don't know. So I, I didn't really set out to make an album of, that's about current events, but somehow it just seems maybe like the Britain concerto maybe is uh, even, more, even more timely now. Um, but I think these themes of war and peace, in a way, they're always timely. I think we're just kind of reminded by what's going on in Ukraine, how fragile European peace actually is and we take it for granted because it's been you know for so many decades you know we've been at peace but it's actually very fragile it has to always be maintained it's kind of a reminder isn't it it's, it's always relevant it is quite pertinent to our times right now to have these pieces resurface or to revisit them and just to assess and think about these issues that we're facing right now so tell me a little bit about choosing the other pieces. I decided to pair the Britain Concerto with the second Prokofiev Concerto for two reasons. One is that it also has a connection to Spain, although I think Prokofiev was more kind of the tourist visiting Spain who had a good time there and just before the Civil War, but I think he didn't really have any idea what was, <laughs> what was going on. He was, he was one of those artists who were a bit clueless about what's going on in the world, I think. And it's, it's a very Russian piece in style, but he use, it uses castanets and I think fits into this program. And also Prokofiev was an extremely important influence to Britain's style. And I think especially the second movement of the Britain Concerto sounds very much like Prokofiev, the, the way that he uh, uses the string instruments quite percussively and the kind of textures he makes. I mean, it's, I think there's a relation stylistically also to, that they fit together. And so then the first piece on the program is Carmen Fantasy, the, the, the Sarazate, <laughs> yeah, Sarazate transcription of, um, you know, um, themes and scenes of uh, Bizet's great opera. I mean, people always say Sarazate Carmen Fantasy after Georges Bizet, but I think it's, you could also say Georges Bizet Carmen Fantasy transcribed the Sarazate because it's so close to the Bizet, which is what I like. What I like about this particular Carmen Fantasy is that it stays very true to the music of the opera. And in that way, I think there's a relation to Britain as well, who was a great opera composer. And his violin writing is often very lyrical. And so I think there's a lyricism that also goes through the album. I guess the idea is the album sort of opens with a scene of Spain, you know, before all this awful stuff happens. And then, <laughs> and then you get to write before with the Prokofiev. And then the Britain is the, the tragedy itself. And then the Francisco Tarrega piece Recuerdos de la Alhambra which is kind of what gives the album the, the title Recuerdos it 
looks back poignantly, nostalgically, maybe at what was lost. And I don't know, it has a sad quality to it. it I find it's, it's very um, fitting to play it after the Britain concerto. And sometimes I've played it as an encore after Britain. Because there are not a lot of encores that can be done after Britain, except maybe a, like a slow Bach movement or something. Because I, I always feel when I finish the Britain concerto that it's hard to find words and the emotion that you're in at the, at the end, it lasts for quite a while. And I find... The Tarriga, in a way, connects very well to it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, after a particular ending to a concerto, you sort of have to gauge how you're feeling, read the room and, and pick a suitable encore. You're not going to pick something, you know, completely jolly that's going to sort of shatter <laughs> that uh, that yes. amazing illusion, that image that you've spent such a long time building yeah. up. You just can't suddenly play... Paganini Caprice number 24 you know just, it would just it would just be so jarring <laughs> it would be jarring and it would just sort of diminish you know what has just yeah. come before but Requeiros literally means um remembering or memory or something yes mem- memories yeah yeah so you've got this feeling of as you mentioned before in the Carmen you know setting out looking forward and then it sort of ends with this looking back what we've just been through in the journey mm. of your album. <laughs> mm. But I wanted to speak specifically about the Tarega because I just want to speak about a very specific bowing technique that features rather prominently in your recording. For people who don't know, it's uh, originally a solo guitar work. And I was watching on YouTube some guitarists play it. And just the way that the guitarists do the tremolo, you know, they really pump the bass notes out with their thumb mm-hmm. or their thumbnail I should say yeah, yeah. I mean you know that they're not bowed string players with the length of their nails um, and then you know playing the tremolo and the melody with their fingers but as a violinist you know playing this arrangement and transcription you're not really doing tremolo in the violinistic sense where you're shaking the bow but instead with the kind of bouncing ricochet yeah. stroke so I mean how <laughs> sorry I mean String players know how challenging ricochet can be. You know, tell me about your sort of a- approach, you know, physically, mentally. How do you try and replicate the sound of a guitar tremolo using that stroke in particular? I, I think it's not going to sound exactly like the guitar tremolo, but I-, I try to find a way to do the ricochet that sounds calm enough. Because ricochet can sound quite noisy. It can sound kind of ad- agitated. Panicky. Yeah, so Paganini in his Fifth Caprice, that's another famous ricochet passage where you always have three notes on the ricochet down bow and one note up bow. Uh, but I think the tempo marking is agitato or something. Like, that's kind of the mood that is pretty agitated. And But I think the the mood in Requerdo Sella Alhambra should be very calm and peaceful and yeah, melancholic. It's a bit different how the bow stroke has to happen. The key is to find the bouncing points of the bow where it actually bounces very, very lightly. It doesn't need to really bounce that strongly. It bounces quite lightly. Some violinists find it helpful to have the bow pretty loose. So actually, the exact tightness of the bow changes the bounce a lot, especially when you play that softly. So you're not really giving a huge impulse on the first note of the three. It's not bouncing that much. So then the tightness of the bow affects it a lot. And I think the difficulty comes from the fact that often the first note is on a lower string and you have to jump a string. And that's very difficult. And then the other ones in between when it's just, uh, let's say the one note on the D string and then two on the A string and you do that as a ricochet, it actually helps the bow bounce that there are these string changes because the downward motion as you go to the, what's the higher strings actually helps the bounce in a nice way. 
what's really nasty about this is that occasionally there are three notes that are on the same string. And so they have to be bounced totally differently from everything else. And so you really have three techniques. You have the one that's the first note of each bar where there's a real, there's a bass note and then you go up high. So you have to jump one or two strings to get there. Then you have this kind of normal, easier stroke where one note is on a lower string and then you go up one string for the other two. And that actually feels pretty good. But then you also have this little, these little traps that are laid for you when, the, when all three notes are on one string. And so those need much more of an effort of, from the hands to get the bow to bounce. This is quite hard to perform the piece because ricochet is one of those techniques that like when you're nervous, it's a thousand times harder. Uh, yeah. And the, the key is really to let gravity, to trust gravity to do the work. Because if all the bounces of a ricochet are really done by gravity, gravity will always be the same. So you just make sure the bow is the right tightness and that you drop the bow from the right place and then it should theoretically bounce the same every time and so to kind of do as little as possible just give only small impulses with the hand but not allow your own emotions to kind of interfere with this technique that the hand is doing it's a bit of a zen exercise really like how calm can you be like how calm can you breathe on stage but i have to say whenever i have played it as an encore and i reach the end of the of the piece i am in a in a really wonderful state like it's it's quite meditative yeah wow that's amazing and especially having just played a very long concerto beforehand as well what an extra challenge it is to play something just meditative and zen and to try and make it sound easy (laughs) i suppose the tricky thing about ricochet is sometimes just finding yourself in the wrong part of the bow and so Mm. i think it sort of makes sense that you want small but effective impulses so that you're not traveling too far away that's sort of one of the tricky things isn't it when you you find yourself like way at the tip and then you're having to work too hard because there's a, there's a very narrow range where it works and if you get too far to the tip it won't bounce right and since you have three notes on the down bow and one on the up bow you always within each bar you travel a little bit but you have to know how to, how do you get back to the right place and it's something that you kind of spend a lot of time you have to spend a lot of time just working out the feel of it and before i started performing it i would often I would warm up with the piece or I would just kind of play around with it and try to slowly figure it out until it felt more and more. But I, I love the piece itself, Ricardo's de la Alhambra, mm-hmm. so much that I felt like it was really like worth the effort. I mean, even though the things that I'm learning in this piece, I'm not going to use for any other <laughs> any other piece that I, <laughs> I ever play, probably, because it's very specific. They're very specific solutions to like really unique problems. But it's such a beautiful piece that I really love the process. I'm sure by having done this exercise, though, it'll make other pieces that require ricochet seem really easy in, yeah, <laughs> uh, some in, in comparison. <laughs> when it's just <laughs> be like, well, yeah. I know how to do that. When it's you know? just four <laughs> notes um, and you just drop the bow, that seems, yeah, that seems a lot simpler. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all relative, isn't it? Um, well, thank you for in, indulging me in, in that um, very technical question about ricochet. Uh, Augustine, thank you for joining me today on the Strad Podcast telling me about your new album and for talking about ricochet there's not many podcasts yet to talk about ricochet but the Strad podcast yes. is one of them thank you so much for having me that was augustine hadelich right now you're listening to an excerpt of recuerdos de la Alhambra, which features on his new album out now 
If you want to hear more from Augustine, you can check out our Education Hub, where you'll find a recent interview with him on how he recorded the repertoire for the Suzuki method. We'll pop a link in the show notes for you to check that out. And don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students. And if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away with no strings attached. Also, if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It helps us out loads. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.